Okay, we're going to begin this part. It's called On Location Filming Waterland, Scene 2, Walsingham. This is in 1991. It's a Rum Life, Book 4, Volume 1, Northcote, 1984-1998. to A couple of days later, we were preparing for an all-night session in the famous village centre of Walsingham in Norfolk. This time, we were to need the full complement. We took four horses and four vehicles, with the big horse box plus trailer and another trailer pulled by our ancient long wheelbase Ford petrol V6 powered Land Rover. There were five folk too. Firework frenzy. We'd been forewarned that there would be some fireworks during the filming as it was to be a flashback to the coronation of King Edward VII and included the celebrations. The whole scene was based in the centre of the village which had been totally repainted and featured the kind of things that would be seen at the turn of the century, hence our vehicles and horses, all for atmosphere. We were installed by 5pm and then all four entrances to the village centre were all blocked by film wagons of one sort or another. There was an odd sort of ancient open-topped omnibus propelled by a rope so that it careered slowly across the whole scene. This is all that seemed to be happening all evening. Jeremy Irons, the star of the film, was there, centre stage, surrounded by lots of young people who we think were viewing the scene around them from another period in history. Every time a film take was announced, there were fireworks zooming around from all directions. A group of rowdy youngsters had taken over Admiral the Suffolk Horse's cart and were smashing sugar glass bottles hither and thither just behind the patient horse. We were stationed next to the village inn, at least Joe and Admiral were. I was in a roving role, making sure all the horses and handlers were coping with the different situations. A huge rocket attachment was running along a fixed wire from the ground close to Admiral and exploding on the pub sign with huge ferocity. Now I began to realise why it was us mugs here and not some other horse outfit. It was very scary and I must admit the horses were quite brilliant although my heart was in my mouth every time this rocket thing zoomed past and smashed into a thousand stars. Robert was in costume again. I think he rather liked the idea of the costume van packed with attractive ladies. This time his costume was better than his normal clothes. He asked if he could keep them. Admiral takes a break. At 2am they took a break and after everyone was fed by the caterers they seemed to descend on the pub and left me taking still photos of the scenes around us. It was about this time Admiral decided he had endured sufficient and decided to go walkabout, complete, with his heavy iron-wheeled Lincolnshire farm cart. I was supposed to be his minder and at that moment he'd, I'd been distracted and thought him asleep. He turned in a circle and moved sharply towards the pub at a trot. He'd seen a chap going that way and decided to follow. The only thing was that around the entire pub front were rows of heavy wooden benches and tables. These meant nothing to our admiral and he demolished them in a trice. This brought him to the attention of the chap he'd been following, who turned to see what had caused the huge noise. The chap turned as white as a sheet, ran for the pub door and tried to close it. 
Too late was the cry, as they say, as the mentally exhausted admiral already had his head and collar through the doorway. Fortunately, the brickwork held, and admiral came to a sharp halt jammed in the door. The tables and benches were literally matchwood under the wheels of the heavy cart, and it took me several minutes to release him from the cart sufficiently to ease him back from the door. By now I had plenty of help to remove the cart too, and we reattached the horse and drove him back to the lorry for a well-earned rest. Ruth then found the director and told him in no uncertain terms what she thought of his shabby trick in getting us there without explaining the full circumstances. I should imagine that after confronting another horse outfit with all the facts, they were met with firm refusals all round, until they found us poor wretches desperate for the money. The director did admit that they could finish the remaining scenes without the horses, and we left for home, threatening not to return. We did not have fax facilities or even emails at this time, and a friendly local business, Tong Engineering in nearby Spilsby, helped us by accepting and sending fax messages from time to time. They telephoned us the next morning to tell us a frantic fax had been received from the film company to the effect that they desperately needed us to finish the planned film sequences and apologised profusely for what had happened the previous night. Thinking about the money, we did agree to go again. The last shoot. It was a couple of days later, and this time it was just myself and Robert again, with Sam and Ebony. They wanted a, a different, larger vehicle, so we borrowed a traditional Lincolnshire farm wagon from a good friend at Wrangell for Ebony to pull. Sam was, had the same cart as he was using at Weybourne. Then once on scene it was explained that I had to be in costume as both horses were likely to be filming at the same time. No short hair though. As I did not wish my hair cut short, the same girls in the same caravan that Robert had been in the week before decided they had a solution. They turned me into something like a 19th century Coleman with droopy moustache, extra long black hair and a cloth cap. Just as they were finishing, my waistcoat would not meet across my middle. Oh, just run some scissors up the back and stick him in a jacket, one of them said with exasperation. Ebony and I only went across the scene the once for the powers that be to take a look through the cameras, and the director went spare once again. The wagon dwarfed the buildings, and the noise it made on the rough stone road with its four huge iron-shod wheels was incredible. I had to be in the background. But, just as I came to the end of the streets, I was filmed by the cameras from Channel 4 Television, a programme called Channel 4 Daily. This was a live programme, and the interviewer stopped me and wanted to know all about the horse and wagon. Admittedly, the whole thing was very impressive, even if the film director did not approve. On the telly. I'm not sure how she came to see that short news item, but on arriving home again I was interrogated by my wife Ruth, who wanted to know who the strange chap was who came to be driving Ebony. She just would not believe it was actually me. And they had no photos really of it either. We had finished, and it was the second week in November, and when we sent in our final account. There we are. That's the end of that short bit. Um, brought to you by Cracker Books.
Um, I hope you enjoyed it, written by Keith Sanders. Uh, it's um, part of a series um, from Northcote uh, in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, there are lots more short stories to read from uh, Keith Sanders, the short story man, dot wordpress.com. Lots more free audio stories on this Buzzsprout site and there are lots of videos to see. They're all free um, heavy horse videos too on uh, Keith Sanders, the short story man on YouTube. There's a shop. This is the important bit. All the stories you read or listen to are compiled into books. There are three at the moment. Um, the shop is called Richard Keith Sanders dot cells s-e-l-z dot com the books are easily downloadable and they're not expensive thank you for listening <laughs>